I'm sorry, excuse me. <laughs> I do have it together. 2 Corinthians, I do know where we're going. 2 Corinthians in your Bible, if you would, chapter number 1. We're going to pick up uh, where we left off. It's been a, a couple of weeks now since we've um, been going through 2 Corinthians, but I just want to want to sort of circle back, and I think we shouldn't have too much trouble finishing the chapter tonight, but either way, with this verse-by-verse stuff, we can stop wherever we stop. So I uh, hope and pray that it'll be a blessing and a help to you. I kind of want to circle back just for a second, though, and remind you that 2 Corinthians is a book written about the ministry. It's not written to a preacher like First, Second Timothy and Titus would, but it is a book that would sort of go with them, okay, if that makes sense. But this is a book not written to a preacher to instruct a preacher about his conduct and leadership in the church. This book is written to the church about ministry. And, and the Apostle Paul uses a whole bunch of words as, as we, he goes through this book to describe the ministry. And let me just give them to you. Um, one of the words is anguish, perplexity. Does somebody want to count for me? Two. Who can count? <laughs> Brad, you got it? No. Okay. That was two. We got, a, we got a lot longer than that to go. Somebody count, all right? Here's how many words. Let me know when we're done how many words we got. Anguish, perplexity, devour, smite, bondage, weak, forsaken, faint, persecuted, sorry, grieved, down, perish, burden, cast down, groaning, poor, chastened, hunger, beaten, perils, Pain, infirmity, stoned, reproaches, offended, weariness, mourning, trembling, fear, poverty, affliction, despair, necessities, imprisonment, distresses, uh, destruction, um, killed, tribulation, dying, tumults, suffering, and terrified. 45 words. 40 to 45 words? 45. My wife said 45. She's the details person. It's 45. I would bet my, my fingers on it. You can cut my fingers off if she's wrong, all right? 45 words. Did you see one positive word in that list of words? That is the words that the Apostle Paul uses as he goes through 2 Corinthians to talk about the ministry. Now, where do you get this modern-day weird, sissified Christianity from? Where do you get this modern-day, weird, sissified church from? This, this church that tells you that, that everything is supposed to be perfect in your life if you're serving God. That if you're in ministry, it's all lovey-dovey stuff all the time. The reality of the ministry is that it's misery. Now, I, I, my preacher said this years ago, and I've never forgot it. He said, God will take a man. That's the call to preach. God will break a man. And then God will make a man. Most people have to be broken before they can be made. That's the process you go through for God to use you. Everybody wants the power of God. There's all kinds of talk nowadays about the power of God. There's these college revivals going on, you know. And they claim that it's the power of God, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, while they're boasting on social media about being led by, by queers and women and all the rest of this stuff, they're claiming that it's a revival of God. You guys, you guys seen some of that? Some of you have seen some of that stuff going on. That's a revival of God with queers leading the thing. No repentance at all. 
No souls getting saved at all. People are loading up on buses and heading out to the college campus to join in. And the, the theological seminary students are running the thing. They haven't even got done with, with uh, seminary yet, but they want God to move. And so they're, you know, I just wonder how many of them are doing it so they don't have to go to class. <laughs> Running for weeks on end, days on end, couple weeks on end. Uh, that ain't how it works. God doesn't start using you like that until he's got you ready. He works on you. You want the power of God? Well, it takes pressure. Pressure produces power. You cannot and will not have the power of God if you have not experienced pressure in your life. So some of you get under pressure and you think it's always the devil or you think it's always just your spouse or it's just the world around you or it's just, you know, paying bills or the rest of that stuff. Well, you know, there's a reality to it. There's a practical side to all those things. But what is God trying to do in your problems? He's trying to develop you. The pressure that gets put on you, if you'll stay faithful to God and handle it right, with time will produce the power of God in your life. It will change you for the good. It'll make you useful to help somebody else out. The misery that you go through in hospital visits and pain and struggling to pay bills and all the rest of that goes on throughout life is you get miserable from time to time, don't you? not trying to depress you tonight. I'm not trying to be glass half full and not thankful and grateful. And I, I, Honestly, I like being happy. I want to be happy. I like laughing. I enjoy goofing around and having a good laugh. I enjoy my life. I was grateful today for the sunshine, weren't you? It was amazing. I actually was staring at the moon like, wow, I was almost about 3, 3.30. I was looking at the moon's up and I was looking at the moon and I was just like, man, God's awesome. I want to have joy in my life. I'm not trying to make you miserable, but the reality is that there are phases in life where you get very miserable. (laughs) Well, what does misery do? Misery is what produces ministry. The Apostle Paul knew a lot about suffering. You know, like we just sang it, the old rugged cross. We're supposed to be thankful for the cross that God allows us to carry. Taking up his cross and following him. The misery in your life makes you an able minister to somebody else. So the ministry is ministering to other people in their need. How can you be an effective minister if you've never needed to be ministered to? How can you truly help somebody else and truly have compassion and truly be there for them if you haven't suffered to some, at some extent yourself? So God will allow you to suffer in your life. Because everybody does. And if you handle that suffering the right way, God will make you a minister to other people. And that's what the ministry is about. And as we go through 2 Corinthians, we're going to see that. Paul, picking up where we left off Last week, Paul's been dealing with in chapter number one, what seems like some criticism from the people that he led to Christ. And in first Corinthians, you know, he says, are not ye my work in the Lord. They were his people. There was no doubt about his apostleship, especially to the Corinthian church. They should have known and accepted and understood his apostleship. And yet there was some criticism coming Paul's way in first Corinthians. He had gone in and corrected the church for the wicked sins going on in the church. And he lit into them. Paul did not hold back when it came to their foolishness that they were accepting the fornication that was going on in the church. He got on them and he's, I mean, he ripped them just absolutely to shreds over the sin in their church. They got it right. 
When a real preacher showed up and said that's against God and against the Bible and they got under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they proved the quality that was down deep inside of them by getting the sin out and the young man that was the cause of the problem actually repented and got the thing right. The thing worked out great. So now that we got the sin issue out of the church, what does the devil do? Well, when I can't get in there through sin, I'll get in there through false doctrine. And he sends other teachers in there and some people, some personality problems begin. That's why I've been preaching this thing about things that hurt the church. I'm just telling you, you're not going to avoid personality conflict. It's not going to happen. Listen, not everybody has a good personality. Some people have actually just like a rotten personality. If you, if you know somebody like that and you're just like, wow, that person's just absolutely... Rather than beginning to resent that individual and all that stuff, just go, you know what, thank God I didn't marry her. Thank God I didn't marry him. I don't have to deal with it. And there's plenty of other people at church to talk to. I'm not going to let my attitude get rotten over somebody's rotten personality. Personality conflicts happen. You can't possibly like every single person in this room. Not if you really got to know them. Somebody is going to rub you the wrong way. And that's where the devil begins to work. If he can't get at you out of sin, he'll get at you with personality conflicts. Or he'll get at the church with doctrine. And what they had done is they had begun to criticize and even challenge Paul's apostleship and Paul's call. It's that, it's that same stuff that Absalom was doing. It's frustrated ambition right in the ranks of the church. And Paul's like, what in the world, you guys? I mean, like, that hurts. You know me, you know my testimony, you know my ministry, you know my life. Why are you doing this to me? That's part of the ministry. It's misery. you got to be willing to accept it. you got to embrace it. you got to deal with it. And then God will give you a chance to help somebody else who's been hurt in church. In verse number 15, he says this, And in this confidence, we stopped at 14 last time, I was minded to come unto you before time that you might have a second benefit. So they'd been challenging Paul about basically lying. We'll get into that, and I'll show you that, that Paul defends himself in this first chapter. But what I want to grab onto here in this first verse is he said, In this confidence I was minded to come unto you. So he said, I had a desire to come to you. It was my mind to come to you. And, and, I, and I'd acknowledge, you acknowledge us in part in verse 14, and you're rejoicing it was even as we are in yours. I wanted to come, but we're going to see that he was stopped. But notice his purpose for coming to them. He says that ye might have a second benefit. Now, what in the world is that? Do you know this is one of the proof texts that the holiness movement and the charismatic movement uses to say that there's a, a second work of the grace of God in a Christian's life. And, and what some of them teach, and there's variations of the doctrine, but a couple of them will say that this is when you begin speaking in tongues. Others will say this is when the old sin nature is eradicated and you can't sin anymore. They literally believe that you come to a point of sinless perfection and it's a second work of grace or the second benefit that Paul was talking about. But I want to ask you, where do you see that anywhere in the text? You have to read into the passage to come up with some of the doctrines that these churches are teaching people. The Bible doesn't say that. Let me show you a couple of the verses they take you to to prove this point. So, Scripture with Scripture, they're going to prove their point, right? Go to the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 6. 
insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So they're saying, here it is. See, a second work of grace. You know what he's talking about in the context in 2 Corinthians 8? He isn't talking about some kind of a, uh, an arrival where you get the Holy Spirit in a whole new way or you got the Holy Spirit before and now you get the Holy Ghost and making up all kinds of stuff that absolutely confuse the Bible rather than just letting the Bible be the Bible, letting it speak for itself, looking at what it's teaching and accepting it for face value. What they're trying to say, what he's saying here is he's talking about money. He said in verse number, uh, look at verse number five. Uh, verse 4, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. It was, it, was a, it was a donation, the gift, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we as hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Now we'll get here in just a little bit, but what he's saying is, they were a very giving church. They had the grace of giving. It, it, was just, it was just something that God was doing in them and they wanted to give and they gave willingly, not grudgingly or of necessity. That's what I love about the way we give here. I like not passing a plate. I've never preached that that is what everybody should do or if you pass a plate, you're wrong. I've never agreed with that. Like, I've never thought that. I've never preached that. I just like the way we do it. I like the fact that I've never had to do a series on giving. Because the budget's so bad that we got to pressure you to start giving. Follow God in your giving. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit what He'd have you to do with your money. And then do what God wants you to do with your money. We're going to show you after we're done here today and offline and all the rest of that stuff. We're going to show you what God's done for you. What God's done for this church through just saying, ask God for the grace to give and then give the way God wants you to give. We're not after your money. You'd be shocked at what God can do. He was telling that church, listen, I want you to have the same grace that they had. You need to learn to give. You're cheap. <laughs> but he's not talking about some kind of a sinless perfection. I got another reference here, but let me check it because I think I, I, think I wrote it down wrong. So just hang on one second. He's talking about coming to the end that they might be established. The word he used was established, not established. Um, I put Romans 1.1, 1, 1, but I, I know it's not that, so... I think it's one, yes, one eleven. Go to Romans one eleven. Here's another verse that they use in conjunction with 2 Corinthians 1.15 to try to tell you that that second benefit is somehow this miraculous time that you come to in your Christian life when God moves in and your life changes and now all of a sudden you're full of the Holy Ghost and it's a bunch of dramatic garbage, but it's not Bible. Here's a second proof text they use to back that up in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. What spiritual gift? Some. Paul didn't know what gift they would get from his preaching. That I may impart unto you the gift of tongues. That I may impart unto you the gift of, 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 uh, of, of uh, perfection, where you don't sin again. He said some spiritual gift. I want to come. I want to come preach to you. I want to come minister to you. I want to come teach you some of the stuff that God has showed me. I want to come reveal those ministries that I may impart unto you whatever the Holy Spirit's going to do. That is exactly what we do in our preaching. In our revivals, that is exactly what we do. He comes and I tell you, come to church. 
Be here for the special meeting. Why? Because God will do something for you. If you come and you want something, God will give you something if you want to get something. Be here for the meeting. Do I promise you what gift it is? How do I know what God's going to give you? What is that spiritual gift that you received? What is it supposed to do for you? It says it right there in verse number 11. To the end that ye may be established. You know what that spiritual gift does for you? It makes you firm. That's what established means. It makes you settled. It makes you strong. It makes you consistent and faithful. He said, I want to come and impart unto you some spiritual gift for the purpose of helping you stay faithful to God and strengthening you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you see in that 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 means there's some kind of a second work of grace? That's not at all what it's saying. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So I I like to come across these passages when you come to passages where well-known false doctrines are taught and the proof texts that they use. And I like to show you where they get their doctrine from and why we don't believe that. Does that make sense? It's one thing to just say, well, we don't believe that. Why? Well, here's our verses. Well, why don't I show you their verses so when you run across them at work and they show you that, you can say, where's that in the context? You read that into the passage. And then they run and they show you their cross-references and you say, where's that in the passage? That's talking about money. That's talking about whatever spiritual gift they're going to get. Like going to church and listening to the Bible being preached. You don't know what God's going to do. I understand a thousand percent that when I get up here and preach... And, 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 I, and I give a message that there may be a topic and there may be points and there may be all that stuff in that message, but you might get something out of that message that had nothing to do with anything I'm saying. You come to the altar, you know, and the preacher's ego, man, look at God really used me. Had nothing to do with what you were saying, man. It's like they're probably down there at the altar praying that God will help you learn to preach or something. You know what I mean? You can't... You can't You can't always assume that it's all you. You don't know what God's doing. God will take that message and divvy it up however God wants to divvy it up. Some spiritual gift. I sure hope when you come here you get a spiritual gift. That's what I'm trying to do with my life. That's why I study. That's why I'm teaching. That's why I pour my heart and life into this. Why? I don't know what you need, but God does. And I know this book's got the power to give it to you. And I want to help you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 15, he said, I wanted to come unto you. To give you a second benefit. He came once. He wanted to come back. He doesn't. There's, there's nothing more to it than that. I just want to be a blessing. I want to help you. And that's what he's saying. Do you know. Although we don't have any guaranteed thing. Doctrinally in the Bible. Right. That there's this time when your life changes. I will say this. Other than salvation. I will say this, most Christians that I know, at some point or another, they come to a breaking point where God takes a man and God breaks a man, and then God begins to make a man. So if there is anything like this, this thing that happens in your Christian life where you really are changed, where like I've already been saved, but God really dealt to me with me, and there was a moment in my life that things turned around because I was at the bottom of the barrel, I was broken, I was done, and God showed up, and I've never been the same since. That can and does happen. 
I'm not turning you to verses and telling you that when this happens, the Shekinah glory comes down and you never sin again. The day that happens, when you get broke, right? God takes a man. That's the call. That might be your salvation if you're not called to preach. God breaks the man or the woman, right? When you come to that breaking point, this is not some superstitious thing where the Shekinah glory came down and, you know, I walked out of there never desiring to sin again and I've been sinless ever since. Or I started speaking in tongues and the Spirit just comes on me and I get knocked down in my vestibule. And I mean, a stay-at-home dad was telling me that. Even though the Bible says that he's supposed to, if a man doesn't take care of his own, he's denied the faith is worse than an infidel. His wife worked while he stayed home with the kids, and he said he was, he told me this. He, he, his ex-jailbird, too, tad, tatted all up, big tough guy. He's, he's running his, he said he's running his va- his vec- uh, the vacuum in the vestibule, and just, just the Shekinah glory, just God just came down and just, he was on his knees and just started crying out to God, and he didn't even know what language he was speaking, and it was just amazing. It was just the, the Spirit just came over him. Okay. <laughs> A chapter and verse, please. Or, you know, were you like, you know, maybe messing around with too many of those pills in the medicine cabinet or something? I don't know, but that, that, ain't, that ain't like Bible. Even though you may not be promised some kind of a great experience, God does allow you to get broken. And when you're broken, it is the decision that you make at that time that determines whether or not something extra special happens with you. And changes you. And you wind up down the road truly being a minister with the power of God on your life. It's because you made that decision during that breaking of how you were going to take that breaking. Does that make sense? Now watch. Then, according to all kinds of passages we don't have time to turn to because I want to show you a couple more before we move on past this verse. Then, it is daily a constant decision every day of your life. Am I going to continue to follow God and do right, or am I not? You will not come to a point of sinless perfection until the Lord comes and gets you out of the flesh you're sitting in. Until then, you will fight with that flesh till you die. You can't ever forget that. So Paul is simply talking in this passage about coming to them to give them something That'll help them spiritually grow. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. You and I should all have a strong desire. Hear me. Hear me. A strong desire to grow in Jesus Christ. You should want God to get you to that point where spiritually things change in your life and you're no longer just going through the motions, you're no longer just kind of making it, where, where really some kind of a change comes over you and you graduate spiritually to the next level, where you stop being a child and you move up to a young man and you, and you stop being a young man and you move up to a father and you stop being a father and you move up to an elder. You want to desire God to bring you, to, you want to look at your life and have a longing to grow in Jesus Christ. You want to long for that second benefit and, and sad to say and thank God he doesn't do it constantly but sad to say the breaking and remaking process is not a one time thing it will happen if you really are serious about serving God and you really want all God has for you 
everything he's got for you, if you really want it, then you're going to have to be broken more than once. You don't earn your stripes, you don't earn your belts by sitting around on flowery beds of ease, giving a hundred so he'll give you a thousand, and then giving a thousand so he'll give you ten thousand, then giving ten thousand so he'll give you a hundred thousand, giving a hundred thousand so he'll give you a million. It's a bunch of hogwash. It's lies. It's not reality, and you cannot find it when Paul describes the ministry in 2 Corinthians, not one time. But I'm telling you this much, I believe this with all my heart. And Brother Lentz told me this years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He said, Mike, the dream realized is greater than the dream imagined. Now, now so far, I have lived that. Here's the funny thing about it. The dream imagined was much bigger from a human perspective than so far the dream has been realized. From a human perspective, things have not been as crazy successful as the dream in my head. But the reality of serving God and what God is doing is so much better than what I had in my imagination. I'm glad, I'm glad God gave me an old preacher like that that told me the truth and didn't pull any punches. And I'm telling you tonight, if you really are serious about serving God, then you'll get to those breaking points. And when you get to them, please make the right decision. Because God will then begin to build you. Once He gets you where He wants you to be, everything will be all right, it'll go good, but then you'll have another test that will come your way. You'll have another giant to face. And if you set the right habits now of reacting properly to things, then as the giants come, you already know how to behave. Because you've been through it before. Does that make sense? Are you in 1 Peter chapter 2? Look at verse 2. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. How are you going to grow? That book in your lap. You will not grow without a Bible. So just, just listen. I'm t- listen. Listen. Please listen. There is not a person in this room that is going to grow in God without learning that Bible. It doesn't, personalities at church don't matter. You understand what I'm saying? Programs at church don't matter. I don't really like the music. Okay, well, we're not good enough for you. We get that. But that doesn't matter. Oh, that little church building. I get mud on my shoes. Okay, mud on your stinking shoes doesn't matter, you, you, you rich American. What matters is that book in your lap. Am I getting something from the Bible? Am I learning my doctrine? If you're not learning your doctrine, you're not in the right place. You will not grow without the Bible. Period. It's impossible. Go to the book of Hebrews, please. Look at chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Not that I'm any kind of an authority or anything, but if I could preach young, teach young preachers who are trying to start churches, if you could just give me 100 young preachers that are trying to start a church, 50 of them, whatever, you know what I would tell them? Scratch all your special meetings. Scratch all your programs. Scratch everything. And if God called you to start a church, then give them Bible. 
Just put really good food out there every week. I'm not saying you shouldn't evangelize. I'm not saying you shouldn't knock doors. I'm just saying get as basic as you can, as simple as you can, as biblical as you can, and then just put good food out there. You know what will happen? Word will spread. Man, that's a really good... There's a mom and pop over here. That's a super good restaurant, man. That woman knows how to cook, and they run a good... You need to go over there. And the price is great, man. They don't even pass a plate. <laughs> this just, just That grows a church. You understand that? Because you're the church. You're the church. Is the church growing? It has nothing to do with the membership list. <laughs> that has, the membership list might be full of a bunch of lost people. The church didn't grow. If, if everybody that joins the church is lost, the church has not grown. Anyways, Hebrews chapter 5, please. Look at verse 12. For when the time, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which is the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to them who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do you see that? So he's saying this, he's saying, you ought to be teachers, you've been saved a long time, but you haven't grown. You haven't gone to the next level. What you need is you need somebody to teach you again, you have need of milk, I'd like to give you strong meat, but you're a baby. I can't talk to you about some of the things I want to talk to you about. You're going to overreact if we... Can a Christian be possessed or oppressed? You can't handle the truth. Why are you asking that question? What you need is to just keep drinking the milk. You ought to be ready for some meat, but you're not ready for meat yet. He said the time has come, but what's the problem? He that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He doesn't know what rightly dividing the word of truth is. He doesn't know why we don't believe that people speak in tongues today. He doesn't understand why we do believe that we cannot lose our salvation. He's a babe in Christ. He doesn't know why in the Gospels Jesus is preaching a message that doesn't always seem to go exactly with Paul's message because Jesus says, He that endures to the end shall be saved. Paul says you can't lose it. Jesus talks about stuff that looks like you can lose it. If your preacher can't, or whoever you're listening to on the internet can't teach you this stuff, he is a babe in Christ. He's been saved a long time. Don't care. He ought to be a teacher, but he doesn't know his Bible. If he starts telling you this is an unfortunate rendering, and well, in the originals this could also be translated, he's a baby. Well, he's a PhD. It's just piled higher and deeper. That's all that is. If he corrects the Bible, he's an idiot. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the first principles of the doctrine of Christ. He didn't say abandoning the doctrine of Christ. He's saying, go on, watch. Let us go on under perfection. The foundation is the doctrine of Christ. You know what you got in a lot of churches? Preacher, we don't know why you you should just preach the gospel. You don't need to get into all that stuff. Why don't you just preach the gospel? That's what they told me in my first church. You should not be... Pounding in the pulpit when you're preaching. That pulpit was dedicated to the preaching of the gospel. You should just be preaching the gospel on Sunday mornings. That was this gospel. You know, it's like, you don't talk like that normally, but all of a sudden you get like, gospel. 
Like, well, everybody that was in the church supposedly already accepted the gospel, and there were no visitors because you deadheads aren't even bringing anybody to church. You're not witnessing it all throughout your week, so why should I preach the gospel to you when you're already saved? Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. You've you got to come to a point where there's more in the Bible than just salvation. Hey, I never have gotten over my salvation. I love the Lord Jesus Christ shamelessly for what he did for me on the cross of Calvary. I remember the day I got saved and I'm not over it. But there's more in my Bible than just that. And I want to know what he has for me because I want him to be able to use me to help you know your Bible better and minister to people and know how to interact with people the right way and have the wisdom of God to know when to and when not to and what to and what not to and all that stuff. There's a lot more in the Bible than just the doctrine of Christ. Let's go on to to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. A lot of churches, that's all it is. Go back to 2 Corinthians. Please, we'll stop there. I've got to cover some ground tonight or we'll be in 2 Corinthians for years. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 16, please. So Paul's talking about showing up because he wants to give them a benefit. He wants to help them grow. He wants to give them more. They've responded, hear me, they've responded to what he already gave them. So then he's able to give them more. Does that make sense? You don't respond to what you've already been given. You are not getting more. I've had, I've had to do that in counseling sometimes. I've had to say, look, what are we ta- we've already talked about this. Until you do something with what we've already talked about, let's not waste each other's time. It's the very pastoral way of saying, stop wasting my time. Look at verse 16. And to pass unto you, uh, by you unto Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way towards Judea. So this was his plan for his travels. Verse 17, very self-explanatory, very simple verse. Very, verse 17, when I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. So here's what he's saying in verses uh, 17 and 18. He's asking them, do you think I'm flighty? You think I'm playing around? You think I'm just saying this stuff? Did I use lightness? You ever get around somebody who's chronically sarcastic? Look, uh, without getting into it, something is seriously wrong. I'm not saying a little bit of sarcasm here and there is not acceptable. It's actually kind of funny. It actually can be used in communication. It actually is used in the Bible and, is, and can be used very effectively in preaching. Chronic sarcasm. Somebody who, they, you know, a little punk, like every answer that they have for an adult is sarcastic. Something's wrong in that, in that mind. Something's wrong in your spirit. This, this excessive lightness that you find in church today. Do you know sometimes it doesn't even ring, it, you, you can feel it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can feel it coming from the pulpit. That, that, I mean, it was even explained to me recently. I didn't, I mean, I could tell by the little bit here and there, but I'm, I'm trying not to, but the little bit here and there that I watch some of the contemporary stuff, contemporary churches. I'm like, why do they all, no matter what church it is, use the same hand patterns. 
And it's so bizarre and unrealistic and not normal. To me, it looks very weird. But it's what they're taught to do in communication. I'm not kidding. Men, women, the whole... It's funny, but it's like... That's considered professional public speaking? That is insincere. That's lightness. That's insincerity. That's bizarre. Why don't you just be you? And if people don't like you, they can go to the next church. I, I, look, I can't, I'm not planning on retiring, okay? I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying what I'm going to do and not do 20 or 30 years from now. I'm just telling you right now, and the way I was trained, and the guys that have trained me, and the examples I've watched, I'm not planning on retiring, if I get to the point where I'm no longer effective in what God's called me to do, God will make that clear. I'll know it. The church will know it. And the replacement will be ready. And then I'll step down. I'm not going to kill a church out of my pride. But I'm telling you, I'm not like, you know, 60, whatever, seven and out. That, that's, that's not the plan. I'm not going to live the next 40 years if God gives me 40 more years or 30 years if God gives me 30 years being paranoid about whether or not everybody at church likes me. If you don't like me, tough! <laughs> I'm, I, I, look, I'm glad you still come. Seriously. I'm happy you're sitting there. Make yourself miserable. <laughs> I'm going to go home and go to sleep, man. It doesn't, I'm not going to try to make everybody happy. I'm going to be me. I'm serious about what I'm doing. That's what Paul's telling them. And I'm telling you, I'm serious about what I'm doing. Yeah, I goof around. Sure, you ought to have fun. Don't become so weird that you can't laugh. Like it's a sin to laugh, you know? Get around people like that. So super spiritual, man. It's nauseating. But what we're doing here is a very serious thing. He said, did I use lightness? Do you know the Bible tells, says in Romans, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time because I want to show you some other, other passages here in just a minute. Every man in Romans 12, 3, he says is to be sober, meaning serious. A bishop in 1 Timothy 3, 2 is to be sober. A deacon and his wife in 1 Timothy 3, 10 through 11. Aged men in Titus 2, 2. Young women in Titus 2, 4. Young men in Titus 2, 6. You know what God says in the Bible? Be sober-minded. Be sober. Be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, is a warring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Don't use lightness when it comes to serving God. Don't use lightness when it comes to playing with sin. Don't use lightness when it comes to the ministry. Be careful. Why? Because lightness will ruin you. Not taking things serious enough. I realize sometimes some people can take things too serious. I do understand that. But not in the culture you're living in today. You got this, I don't care about anything attitude. This, the spiritual things are just not that important and everything is going to be okay. And oh, I roll. My parents are so stupid. Right. You know, I mean, on the internet. Well, okay. You think you know so stinking much. All right. Then figure it out the hard way, genius. Right. Lightness. He says, or the things that I did purpose. Do I purpose according to the flesh? I'm not, I'm not doing what I want to do because I want to do it. That with me there should be yay, yay, nay, nay. In other words, he's saying when I say something, I mean it. I'm not switching back and forth. Verse number 18, but as God is true. See how serious he's taking it? But as God is true, our word towards you is not yay and nay. 
Now watch verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. You want the positive promises from God? I do. Then you got to get in Christ. You don't get the you don't get the yay promises, the good stuff, without first trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. Number one, you got to be born again. You got to be in Him. And if you're not in Him, you don't have the yay promises. Uh, he's going to have some nay promises too. Depart from me, you curse. Can I come in? No. <laughs> You curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You better make sure that you got in Christ. Because all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen. Right? Look at verse uh, 21, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen under the glory of God by us. Look at the positivity that's in Christ. And they try to tell you that, you know, Bible-believing Christians are negative. Everything about Jesus is positive. It's wonderful. You reject him, it's pretty bad. If you serve him, if you serve him, you got some good things coming in your life. And you're also going to struggle. But he'll get you through it because his promises are good. If you don't serve him, then go on. You know a saved person can do anything a lost person can do. Absolutely anything. Anything. Anything a lost person can do, a saved person can do. So don't even come ask me, like, could a person be saved and be a homosexual? Yes. You just walk far enough away from Jesus Christ, you can absolutely train wreck everything there is about your life and look just like a lost person. It's in Him. So it's not just your salvation that matters, it's your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ that matters. I'll say it again because it's just absolutely rock-solid truth that has to be drilled into our heads There's nothing in the world that's more important than your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So please don't raise your hands. But I'm asking you, did you spend any amount of time in your Bible today? Did you spend any amount of time in prayer today? Private, personal prayer between you and the Lord? That's the most important thing in the world. So if you didn't have time for that, you need to step back and reevaluate your schedule. I would also say before we even go any farther in the conversation... Look at your phone and see how much time you spent on your screen time. How much screen time did you have today? You just found time for Jesus. Verse 22, uh, verse 21. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us as God. So how are you established? By God. So there's nothing more important than God. Who hath sealed us and given us the, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Notice that. So he said, you're sealed by God with the Spirit of God. We don't believe we can lose our salvation. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Where did that come from? Well, it comes from Paul's writings to the church. When you understand how to rightly divide the word of truth... You understand that the doctrine in the Bible that applies to you is the doctrine of the Apostle Paul. He's the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he wrote the books that are addressed to the church. So if you want to find your doctrine, you go to Paul. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. He purchased you with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And when He purchased you, when you got saved, He put the Spirit of God in you and He sealed you with that Spirit. It's as earnest. It's the down payment for your soul. It's the proof that He's coming back to get you. Do you know when you're going to be perfected? When you see Him. You're predestined. Predestination in your Bible has nothing to do with what the Calvinist tries to tell you it has to do with. Predestination is not God picking who will and who won't go to heaven. That's a personal choice. Whosoever cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. You want to get saved? You can get saved. Anybody on the planet, anywhere. These Calvinists just crack me up, man. I know, I know a few of them. Shocking to me that, the, that God happens to pick everybody in their family. I don't know. Why don't like, the little brat that's a little rebel want you? Oh, never, you were never predestinated. You're just going to burn in hell forever. I'm sure they pull up some verses for you. You know, he and his house. You know, okay, whatever. Predestination has nothing to do with whether or not you're getting saved. Predestination comes after you've been saved. You are predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. How many people you know got saved and then wound up falling away from God and not serving Him? Not looking anything like Jesus. All the promises of God are in Him and yea. And in Him, amen, under the glory of God. That means you know some people that got saved and fell away. We've probably led a couple hundred... I don't know, that we've seen come and go over the last 15 years that got saved and actually like, oh, we were hoping that something had come of it and then they're gone. Well, if they really got saved, guess what? Even though right now they're living like the devil, they're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ because they've been sealed by that Spirit. And guess what else? They're miserable. Because now the Spirit of God lives in them and they're grieving them all the time. That's the worst way to live, man. I mean, you might as well just surrender yourself to the Spirit of God and let Him run the show because He's in you and He ain't leaving you. <laughs> and you're going to be miserable if you don't just give in to Him. Just let Him run it. Just let Him run the show. Just let Him run the show. Let Him figure it all out. Quit thinking about it. Just let Him figure it out. Just be His. No matter what that means, let Him have it. Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You're sealed by Him. It's the circumcision made without hands in the book of Colossians. When you got saved, He cut your soul away from your flesh. So now a Christian can go out and get drunk and smoke dope and fornicate and anything else without defiling the Holy Spirit while they defile their flesh. Why? Because He's been cut away from you inside. But you know what you do when you start living like that? He's in you saying, stop, 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 stop. And what you have to do is say, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. As a war that goes on. And the louder you get, the quieter he'll get. Till he'll let you go your way, give him over to Satan for the destruction of the... Oh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. See it? You're crazy you walk away from the Holy Spirit. You're crazy you suppress Him. You're crazy you push back on Him. We all do it, but we all shouldn't. 
We'll just get one more verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. You can't lose your salvation, church. I'm telling you right now, you can't lose it. If you want to get more on it, go over to John 17 later. I don't have time to show it to you, but Jesus Christ in the garden, He's praying, and He says, Father, keep them. It was a request Jesus Christ made to His Father to keep you. That's where I personally believe Eternal security for the bride comes from was the prayer of Jesus Christ in the garden in John 17. I think that was a doctrine that God brought in on behalf of His Son when He said, Father, keep them. He's like, He's fixing to go do that for them. All right, if they get saved, they don't lose it. Because you don't find that in the Old Testament. David said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, right? He was afraid he was going to lose it. But you can't. I think God did it on behalf of His Son, Jesus Christ, at His request. So these people, oh, I don't believe that stuff. Oh, I don't believe that stuff. You think God denied Jesus' prayer? Then God said, no, I'm not going to give you that. When God was saying, uh, it is my will, and I know your will is not to do it, but I'm asking you to go ahead anyways. You don't think He'd give him what He could? He gave him eternal security for you and me. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5, Now he that wrought, hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God who hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. See it? You're sealed, man. You're not losing your salvation. That's funny to me how people always say, well, I don't, just don't know. If you believe that, then you know, why would anybody do right? And why should they serve God? And We serve Him because we love Him. <laughs> I teach my church, you can't lose your salvation. You can go smoke crack and God won't leave you and you won't lose your salvation. And as far as I know, nobody's like, okay, I'm going to go smoke crack. Why? Because we serve Him because we love Him. And because when we do, we know He chastises us, right? Hebrews chapter 12. He puts a whooping on us. And we grieve Him and we're miserable when we do. Alright, let's wrap up this chapter. These last couple verses are self-explanatory. Verse 23, 1 2 Corinthians 1, 23. Moreover, I call to God, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I came not as yet unto Corinth. He said, so I didn't make it to you, Right? I told you I was coming, and I had planned on coming. But by the way, uh, God directs your steps, right? And sometimes the way God directs your steps is closing doors. Everybody's always looking for an open door. Well, how about God closing doors? More than once, God's corrected my steps by saying, nope, wrong direction, I'm closing that door. God didn't let him come yet. And he said, I'm calling God for a record that the reason I didn't come is I was giving you time to get right. To spare you. So here you got a hard preacher. A direct preacher. A preacher says, what, would you, come to, would you that I come to you with a rod or in the spirit of meekness? I mean, he's tough. And that same guy, when he's a hard, tough, direct, straight, not a light, sober preacher... Also has a tremendous amount of grace and patience and time, and he's given them time to grow. He's given them time to stop. He's given them time to get right because he's like, listen, <laughs> don't call me out. I'm not playing. <laughs> I don't know what you think you're messing with. Don't challenge me. I will do it. What he's saying is, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, but I've done it before and I'll do it again and don't think you're special. So he's given them, he, he said, to spare you, I gave you space. I backed off. 
I turned a blind eye, like in Charles Haddon Spurgeon's book, Lectures to My Students, a deaf ear and a blind eye is something's required in the ministry. Just one blind one, not two. Just one deaf one, not two. What are you doing? You're giving people time to be people and time to grow and time to get it together and get right. And the meanwhile, you're praying your guts out that God will get them and that they'll get it right before you've got to get on them. Paul's a very gracious man, and that's what he's telling them. Now look at verse 24. He's saying, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our helpers are your joy. For by faith you stand. You know what he's saying? I'm not a priest. God has ordered me to oversee the church. It's the the cross reference here that I was going to take you to, but we're going to stop for time tonight. 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Now, bishops, what are they to do? They're to feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. That's a pretty direct taking the leadership of the church. Not by constraint, uh, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready, ready mind, neither being as lords over God's heritage, but in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory, I believe it is, that fadeth not away. So he's saying there's a reward for preachers that do it the right way. And he said, I don't see myself as having dominion over your faith. I don't try to meddle in your business. I try to leave you alone. But when it comes to me knowing some things are being done against the scriptures and done against the scriptures in the assembly, I'm going to get on it. And I'm telling you, I'm sparing you. That's why I backed off. But I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to give you a second benefit. I'm here to help you. I'm here to pray for you. By faith you stand. Not trying to be a heavy, heavy. But I can be when I got to be. That's what he's telling them. Because some people are running their mouths about them. They're trying to subvert the leadership in the church. He says, we're not here to have dominion over your faith. He's not a priest. He's not a Roman Catholic. But helpers are your joy. You know what I gave you tonight? The Bible gave you tonight? Help for your joy. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. Wants you to do right. And if you'll give it to him and follow him, you're going to do just fine. He's going to establish you and you're going to grow for by faith you stand. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You've got to have that Bible for your faith to grow. Your faith won't grow without it. All right, let's go ahead and pray. We'll take a, uh, about a